Mark chapter 13, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But... For the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At this time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather the elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson. From the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, 
you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Mike, thank you very much for reading. Let's pray before we think about those words. Well, there's much there that is uh, maybe baffling, confusing. But we pray all the more, therefore, for the help of your spirit to understand. If we're dozy at the moment, sleeping spiritually, please may your word do what Jesus urges us to do, to wake up and be watchful and ready, ready for that day. Please speak to us, um, for we ask in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, in just a few days, Jesus would be dead. That wasn't in the disciples' minds, but it was very much in Jesus' mind. For the last chapter and a half in Mark's Gospel, Jesus has been in the temple court, surrounded by thousands of of pilgrims that would have been pouring into Jerusalem in the run-up to the Passover festival. And in particular, Jesus has very often, it seems, been, been surrounded by religious leaders who are grilling him in a rather hostile way, wanting to, to catch him out. But in chapter 13, he's left the temple courts. He's outside the city, up on the Mount of Olives, looking across left the crowds. He's just with four of his closest friends. Actually, it's the four disciples that were the first ones he called to follow him back in Mark chapter 1. Peter and Andrew, James and John. I guess in Jesus' mind, this, this was a precious time. He wouldn't be with them much longer. And we might imagine he'd want to look back and remember some of the the times they'd had together. But no, Jesus wants to look forward to what is to come. There are things in this chapter that seem a bit strange to us. He's not saying these things to baffle them or confuse them. He's not just trying to titillate them with some musings about the future. I say this is a precious moment. He is saying these words because he wants to encourage them and strengthen them and prepare them for what's coming. And they're words too that are words to encourage us and strengthen us and prepare us in these days. 
It's an important section of teaching. Actually, it's the longest section of teaching that Mark includes. And it's at a crucial moment in the book. Lots of ways. This is Mark's backdrop to his passion narrative. This is here in part to help us understand and appreciate the significance, the importance of what is about to happen as Jesus goes to the cross for us. But of course, in particular, Jesus is talking about what will happen after that. He's preparing his disciples, preparing us for what is to happen after his death. And what he says remains absolutely true, absolutely relevant. Jesus says, look down at verse 31, startling words for anyone to say, what a claim. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So we're to listen very, very carefully to this. These are weighty words. And Jesus would say to us, watch out, watch, be awake and alert as we listen to them. It's all prompted by a comment that one of them makes as they're leaving the temple. Back in verse 1, look at the beginning of the chapter. One of the disciples said to him, look teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Apparently some of the stones were 60 feet in length. We might have made a comment like that. It is Massive, extraordinary, so much about this building, which wasn't yet quite complete. It was still being built, but it would have been amazingly impressive on a massive scale. It was one of the wonders of the Roman world. All the marble, gleaming and fresh and new, gold everywhere, catching the sunlight. Very impressive. But Jesus says, verse 2, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. I guess they scarcely took it in as he said that. It's only later, once they've left the city, once they're up on the Mount of Olives, looking across to the temple in the distance, that finally one of them asked it. Did, did we hear you right? Did you say the temple is going to be destroyed? When? Such a, an event, catastrophic event, they would have assumed, I think, must be bound up with the end of the world. That's probably in their mind, and we'll see it was certainly in Jesus' mind as he answers their question. In the answer which takes up the chapter. Actually, Jesus points to three different days, three different events are in view. The first one is the destruction of the temple. That's what they'd asked about. And that happened 40 years later, actually a little less than 40 years later, in AD 70, after a four-month siege, the Roman armies completely destroyed the city and the temple. There was terrible slaughter and suffering, over a million annihilated. And though it's not a bit of history perhaps we're especially familiar with, it, it, it was a momentous event. 
And as Mark writes this, it was just a few years away now, less than 10. But that is not the only day that Jesus is speaking about. He's also speaking about the last day, what he calls the end. When judgment would fall not just on Jerusalem, but would fall on the entire world. The day when Jesus, like the owner of the house in that parable at the end of the chapter, would return, return in glory and power. So there's those two days in view throughout, but there's also actually another day in view, which I think really is the focus of this chapter, and that is today. Mostly, Jesus here is telling us how to live now, today, in the light of what is coming. And the commentators argue a lot over this chapter whether Jesus is talking chiefly about AD 70 or the last day when Christ returns. And to be honest, I don't think it's absolutely clear which Jesus has in view. It might sometimes be both. Because as we'll see, one foreshadows the other. They are profoundly tied and linked. But in a sense, that argument and debate is a bit of a distraction because chiefly, Jesus is talking about today. How we are to live now in the light of what is coming. And he tells us what to expect and what we're to do. And they're going to be our two main headings. So first, what are we to expect? Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard. He's telling them, telling us what to expect so that we're not surprised, not thrown when these things happen. And he tells us we can expect false teaching. So don't be deceived. We can expect tumultuous events. So he says, don't be alarmed. And he says we can expect fierce persecution. But don't be anxious. Just think about each of those. False teachers, first of all, look down at verse 5. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. It's going to be things in the world around us, he says, that might unsettle us. But first, Jesus warns us about something to expect within the church. People who come in Jesus' name, claiming to speak for him, Not necessarily claiming to be him, but claiming to speak with divine authority. I am he, as it were, they would say. And yet, they're deceivers. They lead people away from the truth. Away from Christ. And of course, we'll know that was true from the earliest days of the church. Nearly all the New Testament letters are written in part in response to false teaching that was around. And it's no less true today. In fact, in these days of the internet, we're perhaps more exposed than ever to a multiplicity of voices and true and false teaching. I hate it when I think I'm being conned. These days I'm very, very wary. If I'm ever phoned up by a phone number I don't recognize, and I just assume this is someone out to diddle me, 
and uh, take my money or something, I get so angry when mum tells me of phone calls she's had. And I think almost certainly it's people just preying on an elderly person, trying to steal passwords or whatever it might be, bank account details. I think it's terrible. And I'm wary about that. But I wonder whether we're as wary as we should be about spiritual con artists. I suspect many of us too quickly assume we wouldn't be taken in, wouldn't happen to us. And I think we need to hear Jesus' warning. He says, verse 6, Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. Well, they'll be false teachers, so don't be deceived. Second thing to expect, he says, is, is tumultuous events, but don't be alarmed. Read, read on from verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. When our world is being shaken and we're caught up in the events, it's natural, it's easy to assume that this disaster, this threat is so massive that this is it. This is the end of the world as we know it. That's happened time and time again. Each new crisis seems to be the one that spells perhaps the end. Just as World War I, they thought, surely this is the, the war to end all wars. And yet, no, look around us. War in Ukraine, in the Yemen, DRC, lots of countries. Earthquakes, Turkey, Syria, famine in Somalia. And each, of course, is hugely, hugely tragic. Jesus is saying that is just how the world is, our broken world. That's how it's always been. These things, he says, are the beginning of birth pains, the end of a pregnancy. They, they hurt. They point to something that will happen in the future, something wonderful and something even more painful in some respects. But the first contractions... Well, that can still mean the end is a long, long way off. It's not yet the end. It's how it will be. False teachers, tumultuous events. And then thirdly, he says there'll be fierce persecution. Verse 9. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Of course, Jesus is just about to face those things in just a few days. But he's told us too to take up our cross 
and follow him. And he says, you should expect opposition. You could expect to be falsely accused. You could expect the tragedy of families dividing, of people hating you. And that has been the norm for the church down the ages. It's still very much the case for many of our brothers and sisters today. And perhaps we're a little bit more aware that some of us might face these things in the years ahead. Who knows? Certainly Jesus says, don't be surprised. But, but don't worry either. Don't be anxious. It's exactly what we feel when we think of, uh, of fierce persecution. We think, will the church survive? Will I be able to stand firm? Just notice those lovely verses in the middle of that section, verses 10 and 11, which speak of God's purpose and God's promise. Verse 10, the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Through all this, these hard times, that is God's firm purpose. That is what he will ensure will happen, despite persecution, even through persecution. God will ensure the gospel is preached to all the world. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And he gives us his promise in verse 11, the promise of the Spirit. We're not left alone. He will help us. He'll equip us. He will use us. And the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's his promise. Well, that's what we might expect, Jesus says, in these days. Uh, false teachers, tumultuous events, fierce persecution. There, if you like, contractions in, at the, towards the end of a pregnancy, the beginnings of birth pains. But Jesus says there's one other more particular event we can expect which is a bit more like the mother's waters breaking, I suppose, that uh, will especially be a sign the end is near. And that sign is the, the destruction of the temple. And he talks about that, I think, in verses 14 to 23. Verse 14, he says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it doesn't belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That phrase, the abomination that causes desolation, is, is taken from the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. And he foresaw a terrible desecration of the temple. It was partly fulfilled about 200 years before Jesus. In, in 168 BC, a chap called Antiochus Epiphanes set up a statue of Zeus on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem and sacrificed a pig. But Jesus is saying that didn't exhaust the fulfillment of what Daniel was speaking about. There would be another act of desecration and terrible events that would follow. He says in verse 19, uh, those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If we read accounts of what happened in AD 70, clearly they were awful, the things that happened. But 
we can look back on history, there have been many horrific atrocities in war. There's been much needless slaughter and brutality. What was so uniquely dreadful, we might think, about what happened then when Jerusalem was overthrown? Well, I think we do understand what happened in AD 70 had particular significance because the temple had particular significance. The judgment that fell on Jerusalem then foreshadowed for us the judgment that will fall on the whole world. A day when it won't just be these massive stones being thrown down, but the day when, verse 25, stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. The clock will stop. Creation will go dark and the Son of Man will come in his glory and gather his people to himself. Look on to verse 28. Jesus says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, these things, well, are those things that are like false teaching and, and wars, earthquakes, famines, persecution, and in particular, the destruction of the temple in AD 70. That was the last milestone that, that shows us the end now is near. The next significant date in God's diary is Judgment Day. If we're in any doubt that that day is coming, well, Jesus would say, heed my words. In a generation, he said, these things will happen. These things will take place. And within a generation, the temple was destroyed. That was the sign for us that says we can be absolutely sure the end is coming, and it's coming soon. Our government has five threat levels, doesn't it, about terrorist alerts, and I think we're sort of stuck at the moment on level three. That's the sort of norm, it seems to be, at the moment, which points to there's a significant threat. Since AD 70, God has put our world on threat level five. That's what Jesus is saying. The end might come at any moment. That's what we're to expect. Second, what are we to do? That's what that last bit in the chapter, I think, particularly speaks to. First of all, he says, don't try and speculate on when the end will come. Verse 32, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Of course, that hasn't stopped people speculating. They endlessly speculate, don't they? Make predictions of when Jesus will return. 
We mustn't do that. Jesus says, don't. You do not know. You will not know. Instead, he says, be ready. Verse 34, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. We used to to live with deadlines. If we're in the workplace, we'll have deadlines we are endlessly mindful of. And yet how slow we are to have this deadline, deadline to end all deadlines, in our heads to make sure we're ready for it. What does it mean to be ready? Well, according to the parable, it, it means not nodding off, neglecting our duties. It means doing our assigned task. See verse 34? It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. You might think, well, what's my assigned task? What am I meant to be doing? And it's not actually specified, I think, implicitly. It just means faithfully continuing to serve the master, to serve Jesus in the place he's put us with the opportunities he's given us. There is that important hint back in verse 10, that there is a task which we are surely called to share in, preaching the gospel to all nations. That is God's agenda in these last days. That's the reason he hasn't called time yet. He's not slow as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance, Peter writes. That's God's agenda, and he's called us surely to share in it as we serve him. But we're each going to have different assigned tasks, different roles to play. One great enterprise, but different roles to play within it. Of course, in St. Ed's, wonderfully, we've got lots of overseas partners. In Japan, South America, Central Asia, and many other places. They are preaching the gospel to all nations. But we're partners with them. We've got a crucial role to play as we pray, as we give, as we support. And God has placed us here. If the gospel's to be preached to all nations, well, that includes Oxford. And he wants to use us in that, in different ways. You perhaps know the story of John Wesley, the great evangelist. He was once asked, what would you do if you knew that Christ was going to return tomorrow? And he got out his diary and showed it to the person. And in one sense, I've always thought that's sort of easy for him to say. He probably had eight preaching engagements down for the next day. That's obviously a good thing to do when Christ is about to return. But what about me? If, if, if for me, tomorrow means going to the office, going to Sainsbury's, do the weekly shop, whatever it might be. It, am I still to do that? Well, in a sense, yes, Jesus 
wants to find us faithfully serving him in the place he's put us, with the opportunities he's given us to be salt and light, whether that's in the office, at the school gate, whatever. Faithfully doing our assigned task. One of the, also the hero probably of my mum is Shackleton. And she's so often told me the story. I, I've come to love the story of Shackleton. Extraordinary story. How uh, his ship, the Endurance, got stuck in the ice and then crushed by the ice. And they have to take the lifeboats. All of, it's all a massive palaver. And eventually they, they manage, when the ice melts a bit, they, they can get as far as an island called Elephant Island, a sort of remote rock and there he leaves most of his crew and six of them row 800 miles, extraordinarily, to the nearest inhabited island, South Georgia, uh, to get help to rescue them. And it would take him four months before they could return with help to pick up his crew. The person left in charge, as it were, of his men on Elephant Island was a chap called Frank Wilde. And he wanted to make sure they were ready. They were ready for when Shackleton might return. So every morning, he told them, you've got to tidy up your stuff. Everything was, they weren't to get slack or lazy. Tidy your stuff, he says. The boss may return today. And that's the attitude we're to have. The Lord may come today. So in all we do, We want to make sure he finds us serving faithfully, not dozing, but doing our assigned task, doing all we can to help others be ready. Maybe some here, the particular need is to be ready yourself for that day when he comes. Let me pray. Father, please do help us to be ready, to be mindful of our particular assigned task and to do it faithfully for the Lord Jesus. Serving him, serving the gospel as you give us opportunity. Please help us to be ready because please help us to have that day in our minds. For Jesus' sake, amen.